hello everybody and welcome to the Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church podcast, otherwise known as the Faith Lab. Uh, with me on this podcast is our Children and Families Director, Nancy Nutter, Ashley Anderson, who is our intern from Union Presbyterian Seminary at Charlotte, and Margo Richardson, who is our Youth and Families Director. And I'm Lori Rabel. I'm the pastor here at Selwyn. Our topic today is about money. <laughs> yes. And we decided that a conversation, an honest conversation about money would be the place for us to start as Selwyn Avenue enters into our stewardship season. It's so easy for the church to just send out a letter about our needs and what our financial um, well-being is in the life of the church and yet very often we skip over the the spiritual uh, emotional uh, social work that is required for us to be good stewards of the money we have it's it's my belief that we don't as a culture know how to talk about money and we are taught that it's taboo and improper to even share our thoughts about how money influences or uh, God's our thinking and our well-being uh, in the world. So this is a conversation about money. If you want to know more about what's happening at Selwyn Avenue specifically in the realm of stewardship, we will have that conversation next week. So welcome to the podcast. And I thought we would begin with a softball question. What were you taught as a child about money? What did you learn about money as a child from parents or other adults in your life? And it was well, Lori, I can start. This is Nancy. And in this grouping, I'm the oldest one. So years and years ago, um, my mom and dad really didn't talk a lot about money. And they didn't really share what they, you know, gave to the church or budget or anything like that. But we were taught that we needed money to buy things. I can remember saying to my mom one time that I wanted something and she said, I don't have the money for that. And I said, well, you have a checkbook. You know, that's old terminology, but you can write a check. And she's like, well, they're connected. But you learned, um, but you also learned in my household that you had to earn the money. And um, most of the time it was through chores and we didn't really do allowances back then. You just, if you did do something, then you would, you know, receive money that way. So. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah, this is um, Ashley. I mean, growing up, we were just kind of taught not to talk about it, um, that it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my business as one of the kids, um, that it was a stressor for a lot of people. Um, so honestly, there were a lot of negative connotations, I would have to say, like around, um, around it. Um, and I mean, kind of what Nancy said, like, if we wanted something, we'd have to do chores, um, and I, my, my mom always tells me a story of when I was younger and, uh, she said, oh, I don't have the money to do that. And I said, well, mama, just go to the, the hole in the wall talking about the ATM machine that spits out money. Um, 
but yeah, just it kind of being taboo. And, and like I said to y'all earlier, before we started this, like sitting in these questions in, in themselves was a little uncomfortable. So, um, I'm just leaning into it and yeah, hoping for something fruitful. Thanks Ashley. Um, Growing up in a Southern household, um, there were things you talked about in the house and things you talked about outside of the house. And money was one of those things you talked about in the house. Um, but it was something that we talked about as a family quite a lot. Um, I think my parents discussed money a lot in front of us as children. And I didn't realize until my young adult years the importance of that. They talked about a lot about the fluctuation of money and when it when it comes in and when it doesn't come in and how to use it when it comes in. Um, and a lot of that for us would take shape in, uh, are we going on a vacation this year? Um, can we go buy new shoes? Um, uh, can you go to two summer camps this summer? Um, as a child, I was curious about money. So my parents made us draw up our little budgets and unload our dishwashers and count our dollars. And I was all grateful for that, but I was always curious about um, where, where do we give money? And I think a lot of times when we were in the minivan driving to a sports practice, and I would see someone on the side of the road asking for money on their sign. I would oftentimes ask my parents, like, there's, you know, all these coins in the cup holder, like, let's give it to them. And most of the time, my mom's response was, we give money to the church for that. Um, but that wasn't ever really explained to me until later years. Um, as, but as a child, I knew that, that we gave money to the church for, for people who were hungry and for people who were asking for money. We're all taught something slightly different. I am mindful that we are all white women that have roofs over our heads and, you know, we serve an affluent church in the middle of an affluent neighborhood in Charlotte. And so our conversation is going to be biased just by the nature of our demographic. And uh, I'm sorry for that. And yet I feel like as we have conversations, we we each have our own personal unique experiences um, based on where we were born and who we were born, what family we were born into and how that plays out over our lives. I was taught as a child that money was none of my business and it wasn't mine to ask about or to inquire about. If I needed something, um, I generally got what I needed and I also generally got what I wanted. We weren't we weren't spoiled in any any way. Uh, I remember, I remember when payday would come for my family. Um, my family has a family business in Virginia, and my dad. I've heard him as an adult say that you know you work for a family business when your grandmother, uh, when your mother hands your paycheck to your wife at the end of the work week. <laughs> So I remember on Fridays, we could go to Burger King. And I remember if my dad was out of town um, with the Army Reserves, my mom would treat us to like Shoney's. And those were special days. Um, but I wasn't really allowed to inquire about the impact of money on our household. And I did not get an education around how to manage money in any way. And as I think back on that now, I know I carry that experience, or at least I did for many years, 
in into every part of my life, into every conversation or every situation where money was involved and had to play catch up along the way. So then let, let's say I'm a member of a church and they start talking openly about money. It's like, you're not, you're never allowed to talk about money. It's impolite in the South and you're not supposed to ask about it. And it's none of your business except for the month of October when the church then starts pretending like it's all good to talk about money and if everybody does their part and just jumps on board, we're going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then the church will figure true. out why it feels so uncomfortable. That is true. So we bring our experiences with money into the church and into our faith relationship with God. Jesus talks about money more than any other subject in the New Testament. He talks about it openly and in a way that's very direct, um, that involves very little shaming or, or very little guilt. He just speaks the truth about the impact money can have on a person's soul here on earth. I don't know about beyond, but I know that he speaks a lot about that. So I'm wondering what you all think. Why do we have so much trouble talking about money in our relationships, whether our relationships are with a partner or spouse or our parents or friends and and here at the church or in your faith life? What's that about? A part of that is there's, there's no formula as to how we're supposed to handle it or do it right? Like there's certain things like we pay taxes and you typically pay a rent or a mortgage and food costs money. But other than that, what do you, what do you do with the rest and who gets it? And, um, and I think there's always fear. Who's going to judge the way I spend my money? Who's going to judge me because I don't have a lot of it or because I have a lot of it and they want to know where I spend it. Because they're curious, because I think we're all curious of what to do with our money. I think it's also hard because coming with that judgment thing, we live in a country with wage gap. And, um, and that is something that I think people think about and judge a lot about. Why do they make this and I make this? Or I wonder how much they make. I can assume by I hear they went on this vacation or I see them wearing those shoes um, but I think a lot of times it's, it's human curiosity, um, and, and having a hard time understanding of, of why money's broken up and distributed the way it is in our country. Well, and we make a lot of assumptions based on like what you're talking about, Margo. Um, this is Nancy and we make assumptions based on what we see, um, as to what a person has or doesn't have. And I do think money is, uh, sensitive depending on where you are financially. And I do know that money can be, you know, a leading cause of, you know, stress and, and arguments in a marriage. I know that um, for my husband and I, as the children left the house, we are empty nesters. He made a lot of assumptions about how he thought things were going to go down in price. And I can remember him saying, I don't understand why our groceries can't be $50 a week. It's like, because that's, you know, come with me to the grocery store because that's not realistic. So yeah, it's, um, I agree. It's, it's a, a sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned that Nancy. So when Michael and I, this is Ashley, 
when Michael and I were going through our marriage classes before we got married and we took all these personality tests for hours, sat down with ministers and, um, the, the, the program specialists who were there that weekend. And they were like, all right, Michael and Ashley, your biggest stressor from all these wonderful tests you've taken, you're going to stress your, your biggest quarrels are going to be around money. Because Ashley, you're going to, it stresses you out. That's one of your stressors. Uh It doesn't stress you out at all. So y'all are going to have to figure out a way to have these discussions that are tactful. um, And uh, yeah, and have them openly and honestly. And I will say it's interesting because it has become, we're both very comfortable with it now. Um, We've learned a lot about it in making budgets. Um, It's still it's still a little uncomfortable for me. So I'm, I'm very thankful that, that he is, uh, much more open about it, um, in our conversations, but it's true. And, and when we had to join accounts and, um, when it came to giving like what we were going to do and having all these conversations, it was hard. Um, but I'm thankful that we have, that we at least have them. Right. Uh, it helps tremendously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think money in relationships and in, in married relationships is such an issue because we come with a lot of fear. And in the early years where we're forming mm-hmm. uh, and reforming as a household, there are power dynamics at play. So um, making decisions about money, um, it carries a lot of power. You know, when we don't like to use the word power when it comes to our relationships or, you know, a division of labor um, or mutuality of decision-making. And so we enter into that particular type of relationship with all those things at play and couples who do the hard work of um, therapy and counseling and establishing ways to talk about it early on, I think tend to do better. And I had a mentor uh, who was a pastor who, you know, had done pastoral care for decades and decades. And he always said that couples who don't merge their bank accounts early on uh, really struggle more with the issue of money than couples who go ahead and just throw it into the pot and then figure out a way to stick together as they navigate decision making with money. That makes sense. In terms of how that impacts um, a faith life, you can imagine that if you have a couple that has different ideas about what the church is or how to support the church or how tithing, which is actually a formula to model our finances on, if you're a Christian, then you can go to Leviticus and you can go, you can go to Matthew and you can actually see the formulas in place for how to allow our faith to be the lens through which we make decisions about money uh, in order that we don't lose focus of what's most important, you know? So our first fruits, 10% off the top. Um, But if you have a couple that has two different ideas about what the church is or trust levels with with the church, Mm -hmm. then you can see how the church becomes a place of conflict for a household. And these are things like we never talk about publicly, but they're very real. Is there a place in scripture that you all tend to lean when you think about money? 
Well, Lori, you just mentioned one of them that immediately comes to my mind is um, the one offering our first fruits um, to God, which I mean, that's it. It's it's challenging. Um, how do you decide what your first fruits are when, especially coming from my situation in a married, you know, new family. Um, but then I always, I mean, I feel like we throw this one kind of around as a joke sometimes, but like God loves a cheerful giver. Um, I think about that. Um, but more than both of those, um, and oh gosh, I want to say it's from Luke. Um, where it talks about give and it will be given to you, whatever measure you use will be, you know, what's the measure that you will get back. But I think of that in terms of God's abundance. I don't think of it in terms of scarcity, um, which I, that challenges me every day. Like every, every month when we sit down to look over our budget to see what our spending has been like, I try really, really stinking hard to go from that lens from a place of abundance and not a place of scarcity. Yeah, I think, and I know you, you were talking about, we kind of joke about it, but I think my first place was probably in stewardship campaigns and being a cheerful giver. But that is to set my own mindset right when I think about money and budget and setting, you know, setting priorities. And the other one that comes to mind is, you know, where your treasure is, so is your heart. And um and struggling a little bit of that, especially in the middle of raising your family and spending so much money on your children that, you know, is necessary to get them through school, but, um, you know, trying to budget during those years, but definitely um, those scriptures. And I do think that if you don't look at it and you don't make a plan, it'll get out of control and you'll just be working and not really it'll be driving you you won't be driving it thanks nancy um i'm with you that matthew chapter 6 text for where your treasure is there your heart will be also um i'm a single woman and so i i don't have to deal with a husband or with children and where i put my money and so i have a lot of agency in that (laughs) Um, and so I think that that text is important because where my heart is, is what I can do. And, um, and that changes for seasons of life as our hearts change and as our worlds and our culture change, right? right? We're seeing, we're seeing so much more hardship right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe it's not even that much more, maybe just the rug's been ripped out, you know, and maybe we're just finally seeing what's underneath it. Um, but for me, that's something that I, that's a, that's a text that I have always loved because, um, I'm also young. So treasure is something new. And, um, but, but where my heart is, where my interests are, Mm -hmm. where the injustices I see in the world, um, those stay the same and sometimes they change. Um, but that, that's where I can put my treasure. And that's why I I love that text. Margo, this is Lori. It's such a generous way to approach the way we live our lives is, you know, to pay attention to where we're spending our money and, and to make sure it's aligning with where our heart is, you know? Mm-hmm. And so often what frustrates me is I think the church being like the church, um, which includes us, we get it wrong. Like we don't apply that in, in our discussions about money or in the way that we share information about where our money needs to go, you know, to heal a hurting world. 
instead, so often people hear us asking for money and somehow there's an attachment of inadvertently, um, an attachment of shame or guilt associated with how much you give or when you give. And I think that's because we're taught not to talk about it or we're not allowed to talk about it openly. What's so difficult about it? I'll tell a story when um, Rob and I were, were newly married, maybe we were just engaged. Uh, we, were, we were having dinner with an older couple of a church who were very active and involved members of that church. And I was entering seminary and Rob grew up Catholic. And so the Catholic church and their finances are funded differently than the Presbyterian church. Selwyn Avenue, a hundred percent of everything that we do at the church, all the money that supports our work at Montclair Elementary School, all the money that helps to augment what happens at our child development center, our light bill, everything that happens at Selwyn is, is supported by the financial gifts and ties of our membership. And so that's not the same in every other denomination, but Rob was new to, you know, being married to a Presbyterian, also being an active member of a church. So we go to dinner with this couple and they, they had been concerned that we had not yet pledged to the church that we were joining. And so when we went, we sat down to dinner at my dinner plate was a pledge card on my dinner plate. Wow. How do you think that sat with us? I was 26 and he was 29. What kind of message did that give us? Mm. It was horrible. And we were so embarrassed and we hadn't yet had the hard conversations as a couple about how we would handle our money together or Mm -hmm. how invested we would be in the church. We were new and it left a very, it, it, it hurt, you know, it, it, it wounded us for a while. And I use that as an example, just to say that these are really well-intentioned, you know, leaders, you know, in a church that missed the mark in terms of wanting to know who we are and what, what we needed from them in that moment. Yeah. What do you think the hurdles to tithing or to stewardship are, you know, or do you think that the church, are we so antiquated in the way that we assume people understand stewardship that we're missing the mark in some way? I think, I think as a church, we're, we're built of humans and, and flawed humans where faith and trust are really difficult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Even as the most devout members of your church and the person who prays the most, um, faith is hard. And that's not just faith in God, but that's faith in tomorrow and faith in the day after. And so I think one of the big hurdles in understanding tithing and stewardship in relationship to our faith as Christians comes with faith and comes with fear, right? Like we are fearful naturally as people. We read the news, we hear the radio, we see the people on the streets. Um, And there's always a fear of 
that could be me. And so I must save and I must hold it close and I must not give it away. And it's an unpredictable year because it's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what will I do? And I think that one of the ways we can look at that hurdle as Christians, right, is the Lord's Prayer. And like one of the things Mm -hmm. that we say every single Sunday, like the ecumenical prayer of the church, capital C, and there's that line, give us this day our daily bread. And it really translates to, God, give me what I need for right now. (laughs) Not enough to put in the fridge to save for tomorrow, to have half my sandwich later. (laughs) Give me what I have for right now. And it sounds really lovely, right? Like we have a God that provides and that is with us and that never leaves us but there's fear. And how do we overcome that fear and be faithful stewards? Um, the church? Yeah, and if we don't overcome that fear, there's another person that's praying that same prayer that actually needs a loaf of bread. Yeah. Yes. You yes. know, like we are the ones called to deliver the bread. Yeah. Yeah. So there's consequences, you know, in our calling. Yeah, I think about Lisa's sermon last Sunday in the morning. She had a line where she talked about, like, we literally are bread givers. <laughs> like, the church, we literally give bread. <laughs> Not just hope and um, and care of the earth and looking out for our neighbors, but we literally hand out bread to fill empty stomachs. And sometimes we forget that yeah. when we get so caught up in our own fear. Yeah, like, the church is in the business of giving giving away, giving ourselves away, giving our resources away, giving our love away. We're not in the business of building it up and gripping on to it. Yeah. I think that what you guys are saying is, is dead on. And so what happens then, the hurdle is we get overwhelmed and bogged down in our own personal self and um, we're not able to... Um, to stretch ourselves or to, you know, to rely on God. And so it's kind of a combination that we need to allow for, you know, um, opportunities to um, nurture our own faith so that we will um, stretch ourselves and not be overwhelmed by it, you know, and then feel the reward. I mean, this is one of the places that God says, test me. And I will multiply, you know, you know, give your, you know, give me the first fruits and I'll multiply. So that's something we got to trust in as well. Yeah. I think this is actually a common thread is like that each of y'all have said is it's, it's a spiritual thing. Like, it's not just, it's not just a tangible money thing. Like this is a life spiritual thing that is so much deeper um, to what we believe and, um, yeah, I, I think it, one of, I think just one of like the, the hurdles or challenges is like, you've mentioned Margo, you mentioned, like I said before, it's the scarcity, like it comes from a place of scarcity and not a place of faith, which is hard. Like that's a, that's something we wrestle with all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, but when in reality, we look out in our city and we see scarcity everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and to know that there's something to be done about that. Um, so yeah, 
leaning leaning into the the spiritual aspect of what stewardship really is. Yeah, I do think there's a powerlessness when someone feels they can't participate in stewardship. You know, there's a feeling of defeatedness or a Mm -hmm. feeling of sadness in that if it if it's something they're feeling pulled to do or call I have felt that in my life where where I've been unable to participate in stewardship in my early Mm -hmm. years as much as I would want to and I feel like it's important for people to understand that God is gracious you Mm -hmm. know and that stewardship should not be driven by guilt or or shame or coercion you know obligation Mm -hmm but but out of a commitment of of spiritual abundance like you're speaking yeah. about Ashley. Yeah, and I to what you just said as well like we there's seasons, it ebbs and it flows. Um if it's not money like what god-given gifts have you been in, you know, granted to to bring to this church? What knowledge can you share? What what um insights can you do? Like are your teaching abilities, your financial abilities. Could we do a class, you know, a class on budgets or whatever it may be, but, um, gosh, each one of us has just been given a, a beautiful plethora of gifts to share with people in this season. It may, you know, it may not be money, but what, what else is God calling you to do with your hands and what ways can you serve that give abundantly, um, in different ways? Hmm. Although nothing says thank you like hard cold cash. I was gonna yeah. not forget that. <laughs> and and maybe what we we've but all said in the beginning, like Lori, instead of just waiting for one month, we talk about it throughout the year. Yeah. So not- I I like that idea. Why yeah, why I know that it's not so that's not the way we're supposed to think about it, but traditionally in churches that's the way that it's like there's the big push. Oh, I think we should think about it that way. And the trend in stewardship uh, in the Big C Church is yeah. to have open, ongoing conversations yeah. about how money is such a big part of our lives mm-hmm. and how we connect the dots between uh, our treasure and our hearts. Uh, yeah. It would be a lot easier for us as a congregation and as individual people of faith to have access to those conversations long before the year is almost end, you know, at October of every year, you know? Yeah. yeah, Well, I like what you, you said in the beginning, Lori, if this is something that Jesus talked about more than anything else in the new Testament with his teachings, I mean, at the very basic, we follow the teachings of Jesus. Yeah. So we want to, we want to hear these things. We need to hear these things. Yeah. I can't remember, remember where I heard it. I read it recently. Um, we go, what does it say? We go to scripture to hear about what God loves, not what God loves about us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I hope this conversation does is allow whoever's with us, whoever's listening to ask yourself some of these questions consider perhaps what you think about money, what you're taught about money, how your decision-making either by yourself with all your agency or with someone else is influenced by assumptions you make 
about money or how our culture and society around us tells us what's most important as opposed to our faith and our commitment to a church, our church or, or any faith community you're a part of. These are conversations we'll continue to have here at Selwyn in the next month. And I think it's safe to say that those of us here on this podcast would welcome to have those conversations with other people. Yes. And next week we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it again with some leaders and elders in our church. And we invite you back next week. Thank you for being with us and we will see you or talk with you again soon.